listening to Pick Hard Talk exclusively on the Pod Station. Welcome listeners to another episode of Picard Talk. This week is episode four, Absolute Candor. As usual, the two marks are delivering a wonderful insight to this episode. Will Picard find all of his crew? Will three of five meet seven of nine? Will we get another cast member drop in for a slice of cake and a cup of Earl Grey? Once again, I'm joined by Mark Pollard. How are you doing? I'm good, mate. Good intro. Thank you very much for practicing. And I'm Mark Latham, and together we are the two marks, providing you with a wide variety of conversations discussion debate and social commentary how's your week been good good i'm ready to pick a hard talk well we once again have had a raw view of this episode yeah we have what we actually mean is we've just watched it done zero prep which probably sits uncomfortably for mark sits fine with me normal service resumed i'm just writing things down furiously we've had storm cr this week wind and rain and the coast been battered across the world have had storms this week people have been outraged there's been litter in their gardens and things i just want to take a moment to think about those people and families who have had a a wheelie bin blown over weather watch (laughs) brought to you by the two marks new section Let's crack on. This is called Absolute Candor. What do we think? I'll give this synopsis in a moment, but let's have first impressions. Well, oh, Willie. It's first Willie's episode. Will Frakes was directing it. Um, I'm glad you developed the <laughs> first Willie. People were like, what? He's, he's always a safe set of hands when it comes to doing Star Trek stuff. I really enjoyed it. A couple of minor flaws, issues that I have with it, but as a general, I thought it was, it was back to form. Yeah, I, I must agree. It was um, a, a decent episode. We'll go deeper into this further. We'll delve right into you the card again. Yeah. You love the delving. Let me give you the synopsis of this episode so we can get an understanding of where we're up to. The crew's journey to Free Cloud takes a detour when Picard orders a stop at the planet Vashti, where Picard and Rafi relocated Romulan refugees 14 years earlier. Upon arrival, Picard reunites with Elnor, a young Romulan he befriended during the relocation. Meanwhile, Nara continues attempts to learn more about Soji, while Narissa's impatience for his lack of progress grows. Discuss. The first thing I'm just doing, because again, it's straight off the back, is Elnor is a name I have a bit of an issue with because it keeps on making me think of Eleanor from The Good Place, okay. which I've only just finished watching. It always makes me chuckle a little bit because obviously you've got a guy who's got a gal's name, really. I've just started watching The Good Place. Please don't do what someone did recently and ruin the end for me. Everyone dies. Well, yeah. <laughs> As usual. <laughs> well, as it's about afterlife, it would be silly if they hadn't. Absolutely. And good save. Nice. Mark, why don't you tell the listeners how they can get in touch with us or listen to us on other platforms? We're on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Picard Talk. Follow us, like, post, let us know your thoughts. That'd be really cool. You can subscribe to the shows. If you subscribe, it means every time we drop a new episode, it'll automatically download onto your device. So we're on all the major platforms, Apple, Google Play, Deezer, a stitcher all your favorites isn't it all your favorites and rather than having to necessarily search if you go to the podstation.co.uk you can find the picard talk page there's links to all of those platforms right there it has been made extremely easy for you to access and listen to all the things and i know that people just go straight to the website click on it it's all free to listen to unless you're a sponsor in which case it's still free to listen to but someone's paying the bill (laughs) 
which of course reminds us that because we do it for free it would be good if you could help us out patreon.com forward slash the pod station if you can chuck in a couple of quid that would be gratefully appreciated just to keep the lights on as we tick over through the shows obviously the more we do the more shows we're able to do as well because it just it gives us the means to be able to to do it pick a tier that you like what we will be doing is all of those who are patrons will be name dropping on the show yeah we'll even invite some of the uh, tiers onto Top the tiers. show as guests mm-hmm. give us your thoughts your comments we're not right well we are always right what's real one mark i'm always right correct but we like to hear other people tell us of why they're wrong um <laughs> pick our talk at the podstation.co.uk send us an email obviously you can comment on the shows five star reviews love them Love them. Five-star reviews, please. Any negative comments will be thrown into a shuttle pod sent off to the Delta Quadrant. If you want to leave one, you can. We won't respond, but thanks anyway. We start off with Picard 14 years ago. We're going back 14 years ago to the Mars attack, except we're looking at it from the perspective of him being on a relocated Romulan civilization. Yeah. And to blend in with the scenery, Picard has donned his Man from Del Monte outfit. Well, I think he's gone to crush some oranges. Well, he's there on Starfleet business. He says he's there on Starfleet business. He's wearing the badge, which confirms he's there on Starfleet business. Why is he not wearing a Starfleet uniform? Why is he dressed like a colonial tyrant slave owner? Which is basically what he's wearing. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I just don't get it. I mean, aside from the fact it looks ridiculous. Um, it's not the right... If you're on Starfleet business, you wouldn't turn up in no. a, a Del Monte hat, would you? No. Looks like he's going to play cricket. It, but he does. It, it just it looks... When the kid turns, we've got... And who rather rude says what have you got for me and had a pull two fingers gone that young man yeah and then um, phased him in the crotch but I also thought he was going to whip out some tinned fruit <laughs> that was like pineapple chunks yeah <laughs> <laughs> I was like there you are man from Del Monte I think the man from Del Monte is probably on the Operation u list by now all your favourites are so <laughs> I didn't consider that a good observation you would probably be wearing your Starfleet uniform if you're on Starfleet business you'd think wouldn't you I mean I suppose maybe it's a bit like because he's obviously Admiral at this point in, in the flashback like when you're kind of head of your own company Steve Jobs can just turn up wearing a polar neck or you can walk around in a pair of shorts if oh, you're it's dressed down Friday maybe he's paid a pound and he's just <laughs> got no pound uniform to, pound to the Romulan cause and you get to wear <laughs> yeah. your own clothes yeah one credit can keep a Romulan in synth ale for a year <laughs> <laughs> I quite like this introduction I mean it's a bit gooey and a bit sorry no let me correct that I thought that was quite unnecessarily gushy and a bit unnecessary however when he revisits it later knowing the information you at the beginning was helpful and actually added to it being quite a cool scene we're doing a lot of back and forth aren't we there seems to be a lot of exposition yeah. which then ties into the the narrative of that specific episode yeah. It happened last week, it's happened again this week. I felt the, the opening scene was a kind of a reuse of the Baku set from Insurrection. Yeah. Um, they've gone, what can we do? And they've done it before, you know, the Equinox was used, the USS Equinox was used in Voyager. It was supposed to be the early design for the Defiant in Deep Space Nine. They retconned it for Enterprise. They've used it in the, uh, I think, Next Generation at some point. It was also brought back for a future version of Voyager. They've done it before with things. Uh, in fact, I think the, the bridge of the Equinox 
Brooks was the old Enterprise A from the movies. The other thing you mentioned, actually, you felt it was a bit more Japanese style with yeah, the music yeah. and everything. Well, famously, was it the Klingons or the Rom? I'm sure it was the Romulans that were based on the Samurai Warriors, aren't they? I think they seem Maybe to be well. playing on that theme because they had a real Japanese theme with the, the honour and the binding of the swords and the training and, and even it just had that feel about it, really. There was a lot of callbacks to different things, wasn't it? I think you brought up, you looked a bit sort of Lord of the Rings and then there was a bit of Game of Thrones style. Well, Elnor did. Elnor looked like he was part of an elf clan. Yeah, the eyebrows didn't help that, did it at all? No. So there was that and then there was also very Game of Thrones-esque and then you're going into sort of Alexander du- Dumas, Musketeers. Well, Break it down further, but, but yeah, that, that was the opener for me. I think it served a purpose for explaining why there was a point of that in the episode later on. And let's just start with the Coat Milat. Hang on, I wrote it down so I won't forget it and cock it up, which I've just done. Coat Milat, the warrior, warrior nuns. Romulan warrior nuns. Quite literally the coolest invention in Star Trek ever. And I've eventually come across a race of people who are basically a fictional version of you. Yeah. <laughs> Absolute <laughs> candor. Yeah, is you. It's, it's like, hey, that is just you. Say as you see it. Yep. Live by the sword, die by the sword. <laughs> I do. What a fantastic form of a character trait where they just say exactly how as it as it is. You know where you stand. It's the bit, isn't it, where she says, a promise to prison. Yeah. Uh, which I think you wrote down, didn't you? I did. Yeah. Hang on. Did I? Yes, I did. I, I know. Well, I wrote it down. No, no, I probably did. She, well, she says, I promise as a prison, don't be someone else's jailer. Yeah. She changes that tune, though, when he whips out the Romulan Turkish delight. <laughs> Anyone with a box of chocolates, it doesn't matter what you've said beforehand, it's all forgotten when you get yourself a box of milk tray, who are not a sponsor of this podcast. <laughs> Picard talk at thepodstation.co.uk. She gets a box of chocolates and all is well in the world. I particularly like when the boy says, Oh, uh, don't you like me, Picard? She goes, no, he hates children, hates you. (laughs) If you think about Picard Day, he's not a big fan of children. He is not happy that he's got families on Enterprise. Kind of tolerates them, doesn't he? He seems all right here, though. He's he's mellowed now. I mean, the kid's leaning on him while he's reading a book. He's a mentor, isn't he? He seems comfortable spending time with the kid. I think he's got older. He's wiser than he was to begin with. He's no longer in Starfleet. Not (laughs) fashion-wise. Those things were kind of 80s, uh, 80s television. He's now in a different time himself isn't he he's retired yeah no he's not he's still the admiral he's not so much on a spaceship he's on the wind down he's isn't he wind, yeah he's planning his future different things he's taking the fact that he's turned up not in his uniform is clearly an indicator that he's not taking his things as serious he's also not on a ship that is responsible for the lives of people if that ship for example encounters the borg <laughs> yeah he hasn't got that level of responsibility also like anyone who loves kids that aren't their own you can give them back <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you can corrupt them and then hand them back full of sugar. I've done that for all of my nephews. Yeah, and I then, do. Like a flashbang, just leave them to go. <laughs> just weaponize nephews, the future. Do you love kids? I couldn't eat a whole one. <laughs> hey, you would just give them back at the end of it. So he's teaching him sword fighting. <laughs> so it's like, that's like giving one of your nephews a, a knife. <laughs> not, not one of the life skills to be fair it probably is where he's where he is on the planet Lord of the Rings Lord of the Rings uh, sword play is probably one of the ideal gifts you can give someone but I think if a Picard he's mellowed would you be fair in saying that he's yeah. mellowed yeah 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 I would do because he wasn't a big fan of kids at all and cringed when there was one that was kind of hugging his leg well, or he came out in hives didn't he <laughs> probably yeah I usually just have a taser <laughs> after we have our little callback because the callback finishes with Rafi telling him that it's all gone to 
shit on Mars. Yeah. Um, and then we pan to the current town, which is we're on his new vessel, his new ship, with what is his La new Serena. crew. Yeah, with his new crew. Of four. Of four. It is four, isn't it? Well, we've got Girati, Rafi, Rios, Picard. Four. And Don't then, include and, the 15,000. Yeah, a million holograms. Yeah, that all do one job. Do you not think it'd be easier for the electric bill if you just had one hologram? Like the Matrix, like Neo. Well, you had the Doctor, didn't you? Who had the command mode and the Doctor mode, so mm. it just changes uniform type. It was the same hologram. Mm-hmm. Now you've got one hologram for a specific role, so navigation, hospitality, apparently I suppose, that's a thing. I suppose the issue is if you're bleeding on the floor and you need someone to fly the ship at the same time it will be useful to have two that's a very good point however if you had one that was connected to the computer you would just be tapping into the computer for navigation whilst looking after someone because you're a hologram yes you're not you're not a corporeal entity there's no substance to you you are a hologram yeah you could still have the computer being told to drive the ship steer the ship navigate the ship whilst looking after someone who's bleeding out on the floor mm, maybe i think what it is they've gone look mate can you do 15 different accents and if you can dave could dave yeah and he's like well where's dave he's working tirelessly on discovery at the moment this guy needs a break we can't get him on here you're gonna have to step in and do a spanish accent can you be american english irish and he's gonna yeah 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 right you do shit versions of all of those yeah you. like me i have one of my drawbacks is accents they've wheeled him in they've gone well when you pay you the same your wage bill doesn't go up what too late, mate. You've signed the contract. He's in everything, isn't he? Now he's like he is. Essentially, you've got maybe ten people on the crew, five of which a one person. A one person. What we also establish is that Rios isn't the fastest reader in the world. He's still pretty early on in his book, and that Girati is possibly one of the most annoying crew members you could possibly have because when I'm trying to read having someone asking me incessant questions about nothing do you not think that's their version of Tilly have you not seen comparisons well no you see I think Gerati is going to be a baddie I think she's either a double agent or she's asleep and she doesn't realise it okay do you think she'll be activated near the end so when she's asking all these annoying questions I suspect she's actually asking for information whether she knows it or not or whether she's doing it subversively through an annoyingly innocent way i don't know but i I think there's something still untoward about her will probably come out at some point i was just thinking there was comparisons to her and sort of enton tilly where she's fresh-faced naive tilly's one of the characters which grows on you and is like the light relief isn't it whereas gerati is a bit frustrating at times well she might again she might grow she doesn't she doesn't offend me she just hasn't done a huge amount so far but she might do when we get a bit closer to the synthetic element of the story because that's her specialty, isn't it? She doesn't yeah. fly ships. She doesn't fix ships. She doesn't fight. All of the stuff that has and is happening at the minute isn't really her bag. No, we'll have to wait and see how, how the episodes develop. Maybe episode 11. <laughs> yeah. She'll come out on her own. Well, that would just about coincide with um, Picard getting his last crew member Flipping, eh? on board because we're still not, we're not quite there yet, are we? No, not quite. He's pondering who he's going to uh, recruit next on the holodeck where he's or whether the ship's where the ship's recreated the chateau that he wanted to get away from. So he did, I don't know whether he's... This is like self-harm in hologram form. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to be here, but so it. I'm going to create the exact same environment. 
One, one single thing that really upsets me and makes me sad, I'm going to have on a ship and live in it for the entirety of the mission. It seemed a bit odd, yeah, did that, yeah. didn't it? And obviously Rafi is a bit miffed because Picard seems to have changed the route from Free Town or Free Money Town or whatever the chuffing free, out that was Free called. Cloud. Free Cloud to stop off at Lord of the Rings Romulan planet. She doesn't say it, but it very much reaffirms our belief that she's got some dirty laundry that needs cleaning on that planet. Well, she's a bit frustrated isn't she that they've decided to do kind of a stop off at Vashti obviously then because you've seen the the 14 years pre-log you understand the link to it but clearly she's Jones in now isn't she to get to this planet Free Cloud or whatever Well the suggestion is that she's apprehensive there's two things there she's either going there to kill someone she owes money to because she can't pay or if it was a simply case of she owes money there she's not going to be jumping to the front of the queue to get there as quickly as possible is she because that'd be the last place you'd want to go if that's the situation you were in Any trope Think Han Solo, who owed money. Yeah. He wasn't purposely making every effort to pop round to pay his bill, was he? No, he wasn't trying to get to Jabba's house to do it. He would have gone to Jabba's house to bump Jabba off so he didn't have to pay it. Correct. Which I suspect is probably what Rafi's... Yeah, there's one or two options, isn't it? I don't think she's got the wear for all because she keeps spending it on wine. Yeah. Which is ironic because there's no money to be exchanged anyway in her, where she lives on Earth. The other option, as you rightly say, is is she just going to kill the people to get that done once and for all? There was a quite nice interaction between Picard and Rafi while they were in his study. Yeah. Where he's looking out the window and she says do you remember what we used to say you know one impossible step at a time or whatever it was and just for that mere fraction of a second i could see that bond that relationship they built up which was obviously promptly spoilt by the fact that she probably then referred to him as jl and i fell out of the bubble Mm. Because that, that really takes me out of the wherever we are. Well, she's reminiscing, isn't she? And then suddenly disrespects him with JL. Uh, there seems to be a lack of respect for the guy. But we love him, so it's difficult for us. Yeah, of course. We do eventually return to Lord of the Rings planet, where it's gone a bit downhill. It's gone. Civil rights movement, hasn't it? It's got descent massively into chaos from when he left it. They've gone back to the original Romulan approach, which is that... They're xenophobic. Xenophobic, that's the word I was looking for. They've gone very xenophobic again, Mm, haven't they? They have. There's callbacks to historical classic Trek. I I don't mind that. That, That's a good thing to drop in. And Picard, when we were watching it, I was saying to you, there's got to be a reason why he's taught the young lad sword fighting. And it all becomes apparent, doesn't it? Yeah, because they're all got swords. <laughs> Which happen to be the same class of the Three Musketeers, like a swashbuckling buccaneer-style sword. I've got a question. By the way. If I've got a sword on the left-hand side of my belt and a phaser on the right-hand side of my belt, why do we need the sword on the left side of my belt? Have you brought a sword to a gunfight? Or have you brought a gunfight to a sword? <laughs> I don't know. Just shoot them. I, well, don't, I don't understand why you need the it's sword. It's very... Indiana Jones, isn't it? The scene where the guy's got yeah. the huge machete and fire and like very cleverly fl- um, flourishing it very well. I've got time for this and just shoots him. It uh, just seems a bit daft. I thought it was a contrived scene to basically throw in the whole story of Ellen, uh, who, t- who was taught because he used to read him The Three Musketeers. Obviously, that there, the story fits into why it all becomes apparent. He's now part of the quat quat. He's a worrying but with the wrong bits. Yeah, so he's one of these starfruit kilquats or the Kashkai, and he's a sword master, having yeah. been taught by Picard years before. Oh, is he? <laughs> <laughs> 
I'm not well, being funny. That move at the end, I mean, we'll come to it, but yeah, baby. The, the kid has got some serious moves and some brilliant lines, some mic drop lines mm. to go with the moves. So it just happens that Picard ends up going into a bar with no weapons at all, and these people who happened to have met one of the guy was an ambassador uh, senator he was senator so i said ambassador senator now anyone who knows anything about romulan history will know that the dominion war and the film nemesis destroyed the senate completely through the works of the obsidian order and the clone of picard they were assassinated weren't they, they? were that shifted the p- balance of power and they never recovered and then obviously spock knew more about the supernova but we'll, we'll develop that on another episode we haven't got time for this one he used to be a senator so now he's just a member of society falling from um, his position not happy bunny felt that he's been neglected by picard and the federation as a collective so challenges him really and suddenly the sword he happens to have is now a prominent story tool how do we feel about this general vibe that pretty much everybody has towards picard because everyone's got quite a strong adverse negative feeling towards him they seem as having betrayed them by quitting and disappearing off there seems to be very few people who recognized he was the one fighting the cause to begin with and the one who's doing something about it everyone seems to have ignored what he's done prior to that it just seems and everybody seems to require him to apologize before they'll cooperate or speak to him and is that us are we looking at that being protective of picard because we love him and his character or are they just being overly harsh i mean the guy made a mistake by all means but at least he was there trying to get his hands dirty that's a very good point actually and the thing we kind of touched upon briefly in episode one in fact was if you recall i mentioned so for example tony blair who was a pioneer who sorted out the uh, northern ireland peace treaties will only ever be remembered for the one singular thing which is iraq and other people who've done wonderful things will only be remembered for the one bad thing they did yeah we also live in a society where we're apologizing profusely for things that we've never done there's a guy who i listened to jordan peterson who says never apologize for something you've not done wrong that's good good words to live by seems to be that picard has made one bad decision and retired having been in starfleet i think if you include his time on the enterprise a is the longest or at least third longest serving captain again i'll develop this on another episode but he's done his time in Starfleet and he's and he's served Starfleet well and he's been involved in a lot of things done a lot for Starfleet to be remembered for the one singular thing which is not really his decision he fought for it Federation didn't want it democratic decision is a bit unfair I think and also when you're retired and you're in your 70s you can't really have people and you're back in it all in your 70s you can't really take the blame for that in my, my opinion no it just feels a little bit harsh yeah and we do like Picard we have to step back and think it's still a bit hard to be having a go at an old old man for something that he didn't have any control over. I mean, we are seeing a more flawed Picard. He does mm. seem to have changed over the last 14 years. Yeah, we have. And not necessarily for the better. He, with the crew he's recruited to in at the minute, mm. he seems perfectly happy to manipulate them in order to get them on board. For me, Elnor, he recruits by getting himself involved in a fight deliberately. There's a few things we'll probably come on to where he right royally becomes a right tit. But I actually think he was doing it on purpose to really stoke a fire, to make a point to the people who were watching, Mm. but to try and get Elnor involved in his quest. He's manipulated Rafi up to her eyeballs, to the point where she's on board the ship. Girati, he's planted enough information in her head to get her inquisitive, to get her to come along. So 
everyone's there and he seems to have been able to get them there even though their natural gut reaction is I don't want to go Mm. which is interesting because it's quite callous of him to a degree when we said in episode two he didn't want to get the next gen guys on board because it was too dangerous he's manipulating these people into what we establish at the very end is a lost cause yes so he's, he's very much taking these to a very possible death He's also taking arguably broken people. You look at the crew so far, they're made up of people who've been left to the roadside, haven't really been bothered. There is another thought process, which is the next generation crew could well have been a little bit distanced from him. He hasn't really kept himself in the loop. No, but I mean, sticking to these ones, mm-hmm. I mean, he's a ticking time bomb. Nobody knows that he's his ticket is, his card is marked. Yeah. Nobody knows that. Not yet, no. Only Picard. Mm. So Picard knows that if the shit hits mission. the fan and he gets wiped out, it's all right. I'm mm. already on my way out anyway. These guys have got no idea. These guys could perfectly live life as is the current situation mm. and not be any worse off. That's a good point you make. This could be one of the cliffhangers of season one. Do they find out that he's dying terminally ill? and that he's recruited them under false pretenses for a last hurrah, purposely not gone to his original crew, for whatever reason, to make this his swan song, want for a better word, and get his name back into the... You know, because the book the guy's reading is all about legacy. It's never been more important for Picard to be valued and all down to self-cherishing, really. Well, this is, is this a selfish mission? I know he's sort of trying to do it to keep the data memory alive, and there's no doubt in he remains very passionate about data and his relationship with data but it almost feels like he's trying to do a last hurrah mm. to repair his reputation Absolutely. I totally agree which with is you. a very self-indulgent thing it is, to do yeah. it's about himself it's not about other people under a guise of a greater good which mm. I don't necessarily think it is. Well, it touches upon the manipulation that you're talking about. And the thing is, you know, it's the memory of the data he knew. For those who are aware of the canon, B4, which you've mentioned in episode two, and I'm I'm assuming episode three as well. Well, we've seen episode one, don't we? Yeah. B4 is, in fact, the new data who serves on the Enterprise. You'd asked who took over from Picard. Data does well into the 90s. Yeah. That's only canon in the the books. Countdown. The data that he knew is dead, having been sacrificed in the end of uh, Nemesis the new one B4 becomes the new data who serves on the Enterprise E right so there is another data around it's not his data they've shared all of the experiences and everything else the new one just simply has a transfer of information on his neural net yeah I think you're right well interestingly enough he goes to the, the Vashta where there's absolute candor and hasn't really told the people he's recruiting the most la- latest edition the last samurai he hasn't said to him oh by the way apart from the fact that you're a man and can't be one of these Kilquat Malarks Malak, what are they called? Koat Malat. Koat Malat. You basically won't live long because I'm dying and there's only four people on the crew. I'm not being funny though. Elnor's not going to get killed because he's got some skills with his fighting. Yeah. You're going to have to shoot him with a, a phaser to, to get him, which obviously is a minor problem given we're in a sci-fi space programme. So. And also, right, on a ship... Scratch that, Elnor's the first one who's getting picked off. You, you can't flourish a sword in space. No. Once you've been blown up in a ship... From a distance. From a distance. No, you can't. fair point. Swordplay has no no value when you're floating in space, having been destroyed in your ship. We also have to absolutely pick up Picard on doing one of the most annoying things that I ever have come across in my professional working career. Many, 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 many moons ago when I wasn't uh, festooned with layers of fat and grey hair. And You do yourself my, down, my friend. You do not have my five, hair. My five foreheads. <laughs> 
as opposed to my forehead. You get that anyway. I used to work behind a bar and took great umbrage to anyone who waved their hands, shouted the name and clicked their fingers whilst I was trying to do my job diligently. Picard seems to have taken none of that on board and is perpetually shouting the waiter to come to him in a bar where he's clearly already not welcome. It's like, I sincerely hope you were doing that to antagonise the situation to get Elnor on board because if that's the way you behave to waiters, dude, how many people will have spat in your soup? I didn't think about You should never complain in a restaurant that is rule one of of being in a restaurant never complain before your food's arrived untold damage will have that steak will have been down someone's underpants for the entirety of its cooking process and well and truly cooked in its juices if you've gone uh-huh. if you've gone well done it's been well done yes so yeah he wasn't great and you can see this by the, the body language that he wasn't welcome the fact that the waiter walked right looked at him walked right past him the first time before he hailed him twice rather than the abruptly shouted the second time you've kind of got to know that there's a little bit of awkwardness there. But again, I think it was staged by him because when the senator pulls out the two swords and demands that they have a sword fight, Picard throws the sword down on the floor. Yeah. If Picard was genuinely trying to brew for a fight, which is kind of everything, he pulls a sign off provocatively, he walks mm. in provocatively, he screams and shouts at the waiter provocatively, and when he gets the response that is just the norm when yeah. you're doing that, the first thing he does is throw down the sword so that there's no fight, and lo and behold, the person person who he's hoping will come along is he kind of i do think it was all part and parcel but this goes down to the manipulation oh, i thing, agree i think that uh, was all which, which again flags up that this isn't necessarily i mean the picard we know was a diplomat was very calm mm. I, I never remember seeing that level of manipulation that he seems to be working at the minute but then again he was always a well-known people person and to be a well to be a successful diplomat you have to be able to manipulate people because if you've got two opposing opinions to get them to meet in the middle. You have to work with them. You have to plant seeds. You have to get them to come round to thinking in your way to get that resolution Absolutely. so perhaps we're just seeing the skills we've always known he has we just haven't seen them applied quite so abruptly abruptly yeah yeah but also maintaining the federation's position yeah you know for starfleet I appreciate we've gone a bit off chronologically we're going to keep it non-chronological the ferris rangers so yes. when they go back they're talking about it's all gone to pot they've got clans gangs rising up different factions they make mention of the Fenris Rangers. Now, I don't know who they are. You seem to know who they were, but I don't know how or why. Explain. This is going to be an Easter egg, but I can drop this in okay. now. The Fenris Rangers, which Fenris is the name of the large wolf that you would have seen in Thor Ragnarok. Ah, right, yeah. Yeah, so Fenris, that's an actual mythological name given, and it's also in the comic book world. How did you become a member of the Fenris Rangers then? Just to give some clarity, I'm not suggesting that Seven of Nine was in fact one of the members whilst on the Voyager. She mentioned in in an interview which was a bit of spoiler for me that that's what's happened between the time of leaving Voyager and this show that along the ah, way she became a member of the Rangers yeah and what are the Rangers then because they are you... like a group of they're not assassins as such they do assassinate people we're on the same page yeah there. it's all backstory for her well we all know this anyway because she racks up at the very end of the scene spoiler I mean again it, this was contrived because clearly the Fenris Rangers is another story narrative to allow her to have a way into Star Trek Picard. Yeah, which I'm glad about because absolutely love the character. Yeah, she's still looking good. I know she is actually age well. Most important is that Seven and Nine's <laughs> now on board, which we love. Hopefully permanently. Do we think permanently? Do we think this is going to be a like a fleeting visit? I, I think she may end up being part of the the crew now. You think? Yeah, and then with her Borg 
knowledge could continue the development of the second story arc, which is this Borg artefact plan, which we still don't know much more about yet, do we? Well, that's a good segue because we do keep flitting throughout this episode back to the Borg cube which is one of my main bugbears because at this juncture, I don't care about that part of the storyline. It seems like it's dragging unnecessarily mm-hmm. and covering not an awful lot, it's merely slowing down Picard's already rather laborious crew recruitment process. So, Oh, yeah, I agree. I totally agree. I, I'm still not understand. The way I understand it at the minute, the Romans are probably pitched up on the ball cube because they've got nowhere else to go. But Narek is trying to get her on board to find out where the other synthetics may be hiding before or without activating her. She, I still don't know what her job or role is on the ball cube. It seems that they're just deactivating any drones. Mm. But there seems to be a bit more studying involved, which we don't know and understand, which seems to be linked to what Hugh's doing. But we don't know what his role on the ship is particularly. It's a bit bland at the moment. They're not padding it out. No. We know there's something not quite right. There doesn't seem, as I mentioned in the previous episode, there's no placement of oversight from the Federation, considering the Borg that they are freeing are mostly Romulan, as discussed last week. The other issue is that they're just taking technology, putting it into bags. As you say, we don't know what's happening with it. But we don't know what's happening. No. He, he's mentioned the Ellison ship and that she's not on the manifesto but she says she was on it but mm. we don't know what unless again I'm missing something please let us know absolutely Picard talk at the podstation.co.uk tell us what I'm missing because I don't understand what that ship is I don't understand the relevance of her being on or not being on I there. think the Ellison is just as a transport ship and she's saying that she doesn't remember being on the ship on the way to earth and he's saying you have been bear in mind she's a twin and the twin who we saw was on earth who yeah. got killed do they share a consciousness when you see him in bed with a sister which is one of those other moments in the episode she mentions we don't want to have her activated like the other one meaning yeah. the one who got blown up or spat upon by the Romulan so so whether, because the twins, they share a single consciousness and one of them blocks out the other person's memory when they're activated, that is why she doesn't know or remember being on that ship, or in fact wasn't on the ship, it was a sister, and they just share a consciousness. There's a lot more deeper thought process. Yeah, but the problem is, I don't understand what everybody's doing or what they're trying to do. No. I've got a rough gist of what some of the things are that people are trying to do and because I don't fully understand it I don't give a shit because my priority is getting Picard a crew building some rapport with them and getting them stuck into the nitty gritty absolutely and every time we flip to the ball cube it takes me out because their relationship is quite possibly one of the most uncomfortable relationships I mean you've essentially got an emotionless Romulan and a robot (laughs) which doesn't naturally smack of romance and is perpetually spoilt by one of the shittest dates <laughs> I have ever seen anybody take tell me, anyone tell on. me tell me about this date how, how are you gonna how are you going to let's go on a date together how are you gonna impress me Mark should we go for a drink in the bar yeah yeah lovely okay um but what would you like I'll have some Romulan ale please oh, okay yeah yeah we'll have some Romulan Ooh, it's a lovely vintage Romulan ale this it's illegal in some planets. Oh, no way. Yes. Yeah. Um, listen, I've got this secret place on the Borg Cube. All right. Pretty cool. Sounds interesting. Do you want to come? Yeah. All right. Come on, then. Is it near? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just just follow me. Okay. You get there. Mm. Mm. What do you think this is? It's mysterious. It's dark. It's a corridor, but it's not an ordinary corridor. All right. Tell me more. Take your shoes off and I'll show you. What? Yeah. <laughs> Take your shoes off. Your shoes? <laughs> Just your shoes. Have you done this before? No, no, no. Take your shoes off. Okay. Uh, nothing. Else. Dude, 
put your pants back on. Oh. Just your shoes. shoes. Sorry, I couldn't right. hear what you said then. Your ear was full of um, communicator. Watch this. Whee! Uh, can I get a taxi, please? <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. I mean, a sock slide on a corridor. I mean, they didn't even put fairy liquid down to get a little bit of extra purchase lube. on the slide. If you're going to go down a corridor, you need lube, don't you? You need lube, particularly if you're going down for romantic reasons as well. Absolutely. <laughs> it doubles lube. up. Yeah, yeah, it doubles up. But, I mean, come on. Mate, it's not risky business. It's ridiculous. Tom Cruise's, it was a flashback to Tom Cruise sliding across the doorway in white socks. That was the only thing you were missing, is a pair of white socks and someone holding a pretend microphone, a hairbrush, and wearing someone's shirt and a pair of pants. That's it. And they weren't even long slides. I mean, there was nothing that... I thought there was going to be... I mean, if you're going to do the sock slide thing, I was assuming there was some sort of thin layer of air that they had running on this particular corridor to, I don't know, clean the feet of the Borg as they walk past. And that any human who slides, it's basically like hovercraft style, you know, yeah, you, yeah, you're yeah. hovering on, so it's like ice skating, okay. but on the corridor. I thought it was going to be something like that. Not not quite literally. You can slide for about three feet on your socks, which yeah. is what you do when you five at a wedding yeah. and you're bored. Along with sliding down the stairs on a pillowcase. Or on your knees on and the dance destroy floor. Destroy your trousers. Yeah. I, I, yeah. And... I, as a chat up line, the only other one that I would have thought he would have used was does this smell like chloroform to you while getting them to smell a handkerchief? Well, he kind of does go down that route because what he essentially does is after woo- wooing her with the shittest corridor slide in the world, puts her up against the wall, gives her a smoochy kiss and then calls her a liar, which is always a good way of getting a girl into bed. That's how my dates usually end. <laughs> if it doesn't end in either a round of applause or tears, it's not a good date. Yeah, look, love, you're a liar. Do you want to go to my house? <laughs> But is he, I was a bit, immediately he mentioned this Borg ritual. I was like, I'm not aware of any Borg ritual, but continuing the fact that they are one solid consciousness, apart from the Borg Queen, who basically issues the commands and keeps them all in check. And clearly, according to him, sock slides down the corridor. Well, the other thing is, you know when you go in on these dates and you're kind of thinking, this guy's a bit creepy when he's taking you down a corridor, we've got no lights and it's full of smoke and lasers. Having refused to answer questions about who he is or what he does. Yeah, exactly. Um, in addition to having a bit of a weird relationship with his sister, you would then go, take your shoes off, Borg don't have shoes. There's a red alert moment right there. <laughs> Isn't it? Because his initial suggestion is, this is a Borg ritual. Correct. How many Borg? Have- Which implies that Borg did that. Yeah, no. They have never ever in the history of Borg. No respectful Borg with one single consciousness. Will be seen without shoes. Exactly. How many? Have you not seen the states of their assimilated feet? <laughs> a chiropodist wouldn't go anywhere near them. <laughs> They'd need assimilate. They would need to assimilate that with more than just a scalpel blade. The, the alarm bells when he was like, oh yeah, there's this um, sacred secret. But she's like, I've never heard of this. He's like, no, tr- trust me, touch his nose. Trust me on this. Follow me down here. It was a bit creepy and served no purpose for pushing the story further. If anything, and I like the Borg, it made me feel like you do. Which Let's just get back to the ship and get the crew. I wish we want the crew on board. I'm not bought into this relationship at all. They don't, it's a bit they, superficial. They're not pulling it off. <laughs> no, they're not at all. Um, or even doing a date. <laughs> It's just not working for me. It doesn't feel real. I know he's playing a part, and who knows, maybe she's playing a country part, and they're both trying to get information from one another. But it's abundantly clear to me that this relationship is just so artificial, even if it's 
particularly if it's a storytelling point. If anything, of view. the only truthful thing is it is probably accurate in so much as online dating. He's probably talking to five other women and doing exactly the same with them. Well, he's not though, is better. he? He's got his sister. Well, he doesn't know, but they don't know that thing. The robot woman doesn't know about his sister, and he may be just flicking right on several other people's faces because he likes to look at them from a complete shallow point of view and taking them out on dates and stuff and thinking, I'll pick the one that I feel is the best at the end of it. But he's got five on the go. He's like, mate, just pick one and just live in the world of risk. Well, he does because he's with his sister because let's move on to that little oh, uh, elephant in the room. Elephant? She was well, an attractive elephant. <laughs> I mean, she's she is stunning. Mm. I mean, she wears that outfit very well. She and does. yeah, she's hot. Mm. However, she is his sister and we mentioned in the last episode there was an awful bit of space invading going on mm. from a brother's sister perspective that didn't feel entirely It was a bit uncomfortable, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. She was licking his ear at one point. She slipped it from third gear into fifth gear in this episode because she sneaks into his bedroom while he's having a wet dream about his robot girlfriend yeah. and then promptly starts rubbing him sensually while he's asleep. He's like, what? Maybe you want to write in on this. Would you? <laughs> <laughs> what if you says the lot like that? Oh my god! Uh, yeah, Picard talk. <laughs> it's weird. Does it benefit the story? Are we thinking this is going to have a payoff at the end of it? I guess the probably the best way in which they move this story forward is at the very end of that scene where she turned around to him and goes, "Get your ass into gear." or else I'm going to take it into my own hands and do it my way. I mean, that still sounds very sexual, to be fair, the way you said that. (laughs) Well, it does. Everything she says and done is sexual. I know. Bloody, oh, bloody Romulans. Ah, In leather outfits. Oh, leather, you're teasing me. Yeah, that's the only progress I felt that scene makes, which is that sister's going, yeah, I'm just fed up with you doing this. Well, he has planted a seed, hasn't it? He's planted a seed. It seems like he's planted loads of seeds. She reckons just one, though. Maybe she's checked. (laughs) She's checked the footage. She's checked the footage. Now, I mean, let me ask you this: if if you were if you were a Borg, would you assimilate her? Oh yeah. I won't make many modifications either. I wouldn't want to spoil it. I'd do what they did with Seven of Nine. They do this, don't they, in Hollywood? They make people look a bit ugly. The most attractive level of ugly possible. So Seven of Nine, nothing, nothing, nothing. Little bit of an eyepiece. Yeah, but they start with us. We already look bad. And yeah. then they'll stick all the bits no, everything on Everything on us. We yeah, look like the Tim. Yeah. Just cover it all up. We look like the Tim Man. <laughs> And then they'll put us in a box <laughs> with some LEDs on. Well, bitty, bitty, bitty. We'll, we'll put them in their little standing ports. Yeah, or forever. And just leave them there for yeah. emergency purposes only. We're like the cleaner, cleaner borgs. Like, can you just make that floor extra squidgy? We've got some people coming down with no shoes on. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah, it's, um, I don't feel we've gone anywhere no. on that episode. I would agree with you. I felt it. The time we spent on the Borg, I could have had myself an Earl Grey hot. We've had TV shows in the past, particularly TV shows of this sort of type, mm. where for an entire episode, we will leave one part of the storyline completely to one side yes. in order to progress it further. So going to Star Trek Discovery, we have that episode, I think it was in season one, where Burnham and Ash Tyler, Saru, all go down to that planet with the enormous TV mast. Isn't it Saru's planet? No, no, it's the one in season one, the weirdly purpley one where we see he goes a little bit mental because he... Of course, yes. Because he's affected by the, the waves. Yeah. With his, with his, yeah, yeah, I understand. So, so it's a planet, we, we, planet-based we, episode. Yeah, we spend an entire episode on that planet, developing that aspect of the story, and we leave the Klingon war completely to one side yep. we leave the warpy system completely to one side we leave all the crew 
things to one side. It is just quite literally those characters on that planet doing that. I don't understand why we couldn't have done that in this episode because flashing to the Borg thing not to progress the storyline an awful lot was lost time that could have been dedicated to, I don't know, just getting Seven of Nine on board and perhaps moving on to get the next crew member because at this rate we're going to finish season one before we've actually got all these crew members well that's what i was thinking and it's not good no it's not you know we're point, wagging our fingers at no, them how dare you the point you're making is absolutely spot on in even original series next generation voyager you always had what was known as the planet episode yeah the production department would always have a planet episode and it was solely be every side story or side quest would be put on hold and you would just have a really nice it give you some space even when the borg was going on you had episodes that just took you away from that as well and then the same with the Dominion War. The way with Deep Space Nine is they had three or four episodes that would kind of be a story arc and then you'd have a side story which would take you away from what was going on. But it was implied through a, a line of dialogue that stuff was still happening. Yeah. This one seems to be trying to please all people at all times and not really moving things fast enough to keep you engaged, which he didn't say this time it was... Come! What, not, was not, that the sister? That wasn't the sister. <laughs> yeah. Fist, Fist bump. bump. <laughs> the other person I wanted to mention on this because... He plays a very small part, not well, he plays an enormously small part in this episode, but I felt we got quite an interesting look at him was Captain Rios. Mm. Because he, again, he hasn't done an awful lot in the story arc, but we find him still reading the book. And when Dr. Gerard is talking to him, it's very clear he's quite a deep thinking person. He's moved a little bit away from that rogue, tropey yeah. trap that I thought they were possibly falling into because he doesn't come across that he doesn't have that toxic masculinity about him because there's a couple of times when Picard steps over the line of being Captain Picard he, he yeah. falls into his old traits of that's right passing out the orders orders yeah. which I think were necessary I mean I don't think he was wrong in doing it because that was just him reacting quicker than Rios was and that probably comes stems down to his experience but rather than Rios getting the hump or starting a pissing contest or calling him out on it. He's actually quite relaxed about it. He is. He, he sort of looks at Picard. Picard instantly realises, and because Rios hasn't done it in a particularly untoward way, I don't think there's any animosity or tension created. No. Rios sort of just looks at him, and Picard goes, yeah, shit, sorry, mate, it's your shit. Yeah, he's quite a charismatic leader, isn't he? Yeah. And you would expect, I think we touched upon this in, in episode one, in fact, where we were saying that you know, you've got two strong leaders. The book plays a pivotal role, for not only for him delving into legacy and the understanding that yourself is limited to, to the point of death and also you know what you touched upon earlier which is Picard knows he's dying that book couldn't be any more valuable to his story and the two of them I feel are working well against each other because Picard knows his place Rios is being respectful to an admiral yeah and could have gone uh, mate just just back off my bridge but he doesn't he kind of accept, accepts what he's saying but also says yeah you know open hailing frequencies or whatever I think it's a nice compliment it's compl- a refreshing hmm, they compliment each yeah. other there's no peasant competition they're not trying to vie for there's no power struggle each of them has a uh, a role a to role play. to play and they respect each other yeah you can see there's a respect and they know the positions but each one is as valuable as the other although this crew may be like the dirty dozen they all have a value yeah, well, Rios is the pilot. It's his ship, so he's in charge of making sure the ship functions, but it's Picard's mission, and if yeah. a call needs making about that mission, Picard's going to make that Absolutely. call. And that seems to be how they've 
they've almost already established themselves. Yeah, well, he did it with Eleanor. He explained, doesn't he? If he's going to kill yeah. someone, it's on his terms, and that's the way it yeah. should be. I mean, the other thing with the reason why you've got 15,000 holograms, it's a massive ship, and surely people are watching this from a forensic point of view going, how are you managing to man the ship? You haven't got Dave, for one. <laughs> and so they go, wow, well, we've got 15,000 holograms that do one job each. Yeah. Discovery could learn from that. There are two things. I wish he'd get rid of that cigar, because that does keep leaning back into that trope. I'm he's not in the A-team, is he? Me. You know, it just feels stupid and unnecessary. The second thing is, spot the people who have never been on a sci-fi starship television programme before, from the scene where they're getting shot at and the ship's shaking and manoeuvring and stuff. And you, you sort of look at Patrick Stewart, who's had years of experience of it, and then you look at some of the others who are over-dramatically leaning from left <laughs> to right, yeah. going, right, everyone, pretend that the ship's shaking, and they're going... You can't see that, but that's an overdramatic shaking and waving of the arms, which Absolutely. everybody seems to be doing. I'm glad you used that as a, as a nice link into my contentious issue. Ooh. The bird of prey, which I mentioned to you whilst watching it, is a 130-year-old Romulan bird of prey from the Balance of Terror original series model. Oh, right. We're led to believe would take out a modern-day, well, USS-class ship, whatever it may well be, whether it be a freighter or whatever. Well, it doesn't, though, does it? I mean, they cut the wing off in the end. I know, but it, take, it took a different... It took two ships to do it. You know, we were supposed to believe it's owned by a pirate or something, and next minute, it's sort of wiping the floor until the ship that Seven of Nines in. Don't forget, it destroys the Seven of Nines ship. Yeah. And this is a 130-year-old ship. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. What, What's that about? Yeah, I guess that's like having a, a modern-day Aston Martin having a race against an Austin Miner from the 60s. Well, I was going to say, it's like doing a bank robbery and getting away on the back of a horse. Yeah. It, you know, it just doesn't fit for the period. And, and I know you're a stickler for things that fit. Well, yeah. Well, hey. The reason why they're using that ship is abundantly obvious. They're using whatever they can get their hands on. Well, of the pirates, they've taken it well, from the, somewhere. The, there isn't a Romulan shipbuilding area as far as we know. Because oh, there is. The, it's hidden though. Well, there will be. Yeah. But yeah, I know what you're saying. Resources Well, they're pirates. Slim. All they've done is they've found that somewhere. They've bought it. Like the Millennium Falcon yeah. was won in a gamble in a, in a game of cards. They've probably got that on something. But going Dabbo. back to what you say, Seven and Nine, who's the most amazing pilot ever, Rios's words, not mine, wasn't able to outmaneuver a hundred and thirty old year old Roman bird of prey. Didn't we pick up on the fact that the best pilot ever was is- him? was him. So now 79's the best pilot ever and also Commander Data and Ensign Rowe the best pilot Riker, ever. Tom Will Paris. Riker, Tom Paris. Tom Paris being the best uh, pilot ever for Voyager. Yep. Like speedsters in The Flash there's so many of them. <laughs> Every week, there's a new speedster. I don't know. It's We're getting there. The dialogue was a lot better. The storyline felt a bit smoother. So we are definitely getting there. What Easter eggs did we have? Warning! Warning! Night alert! Quick run through we have, which we've kind of touched upon these. Joel and True, the first time we see the Coquat Milan in the season five episode, Unification Next Generation. Three Musketeers link. Again, you would have remembered Hollow Pursuits, the episode season three, where Lieutenant Barkley is living out a little bit of a fantasy and Picard plays one of the Three Musketeers. So nice link to the book being Alexandre Dumas, a classic book from France, where Picard's from. Indeed you, Dumas. Hey! <laughs> so we have we have that. Kind of touch upon the fact that Picard is not overly fond of children, a little bit awkward around kids, which has the call back to when he was on the ship. Because remember Keiko O'Brien, the small kid that yeah. Miles O'Brien, Miles O'Brien and his family transferred to Deep Space Nine. But before then, he because was Picard cheap. was so rude to their child. Yes, that was kind of a link to that. And also, there was the time in the 
turbo lift with the science winners. Yeah, well, they got trapped, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, just a nice little call. I mean, I all remember these... that one. He broke his leg, didn't <laughs> he? He did. He did. Just callbacks to that, really. Warrior nuns, which we had, we mentioned. That phrase in itself should be enshrined and put on a silver sign for immemorium because that is just a killer fighter assassin nuns. I would be one of them. I, I want to be. Jo- be. Where do I sign up? Exactly. Who have their whole philosophy is to strive to have a zero filter between what they think and what they say. Love it. More of that, please. Let's have people in real life doing that. We'd have a better society. So this is a little bit eccentric because humans love to lie to each other. So I just thought it was a nice breath of fresh air. And also, you know, nice introduction backstory to Romulans and things well the frustrating thing is we're probably not going to see them again in this season and yet they're great but it brings them into the the warm the warm welcoming of the Picard show I suppose at least we can revisit it can't we what I think this is doing now is just planting seeds so we can go back and go do you remember everyone's about the planting of seeds aren't they they love love the seeds Narek's doing it Picard's doing it the writers are doing it the other thing that we talked about um, if you remember the episode Iborg we would have seen in that episode Picard was fencing with Guinan so in here we get him obviously teaching Eleanor. I'm not a sword fighting expert. I'd go so far as to say I've never tried it and probably will never, but I've watched the Olympics once or twice. Yeah. And I would probably suspect that anyone who's into fencing or knows anything about fencing would probably be pulling their hair out at uh, Jean-Luc's rather poor form. <laughs> When he's doing the stick fighting with a kid and he's got his hand on his hip. Yeah, but you're talking competition fencing. Uh, it, it didn't look very good. I've done sword fighting with a rapier. Is that a type of dinosaur? It, it's the name of the sword. It's like oh, um, right. like a buccaneer would have. Yeah. So pirate buccaneer. And what did you think of his as a fully well, not, trained well, professional swordsman I have and sword stuntman? Fight. I've, so, I've, I have fought with swords. <laughs> <laughs> I've trained with swords. I wouldn't say I'm at the high level of a competition sword fighter. The flourishes were okay. Would I mark him down on, on stance and thrust? But he was rudely interrupted midway, so we didn't really get to see his full his full flourishing. I have flourished, and there is his stance did look reasonably well. But he was fighting a kid. Let's be honest. <laughs> to be fair, he's probably just playing at it. But I wouldn't say it was competition level. If it's Olympic, if you go if you're going Olympic, it's a little bit different than if you were about to um, scuttle a boat, which is not a euphemism. But we see obviously in the episode Iborg that he's doing that, and obviously there's a bit of a throwback to his fight with with Elnor. The other thing I thought was what quite nice to note. A bit of history for those people who aren't familiar with history. One of the ships that's mentioned when he's talking to the Kowat Milat nuns on Vashti mentions a ship that were part of the Romulan Marder and obviously then later destroyed by the synths uh, with the Wallenberg class transports at the bar so he, he's mentioned that now that's um, an actually homage to Raoul Wallenberg who was a Swedish diplomat who helped thousands of Jewish refugees from the Holocaust during World War II what he did is he issued passports and had people hiding in buildings and then they, they were designated to the Swedish territory that's it was nice a bit of history for people thought that was quite nice to note so it wrote it down before we, we've seen it happen on episode one the overuse of, of Picard traits which is the T.L. Grey and then the engage this time this week's is mostly the word come <laughs> well he does it when uh, <laughs> he does it when people are in the room um, <laughs> he can't help coming because uh, he, he shouts you come yeah and then loads of people keep like almost like a queue outside the door so you go come 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 <laughs> your lady come come my lady uh, so <laughs> 
uses the word come on the holodeck and it's also as i've said to you is overused as the word engage and all of his he hasn't done make it so yet so that's on we're gonna play a game of picard bingo we should shouldn't we yes the other thing is the reference of the klingon opera there's a conversation about how bored she is with rios playing the music that's just a little quirky um, nod to Worf and his love of, of klingon Indeed. yeah we've mentioned the romulan bird of prey Seems a bit weird that they would be using one from t- uh, Captain James Kirk times, but I'm sure well, we might get some... Use what you have, don't you? Well, I'm surprised it's still going, uh, but we'll see why that that's important. When he transports down to the surface of Vashti, his jacket. Yeah, it now, was very similar, It was very similar it? to that. And I liked the one they had, the velvety one. I didn't like it better than his uniform, but I, yeah. It just mixed it up, because he... There's a thing, I'll talk about uniforms another time, but he had that Picard manoeuvre where he'd always straighten his jacket and there was problems historically in season one and season two because the fabric they were using wasn't form-fitting and smelt. By the time season three onwards got to grips, they were able to play fast and loose with his wardrobe. Green blood. <laughs> we, I don't I actually realised when you started doing this that we'd missed out on discussing the fight scene which you're just about to describe with the green blood. It was a very short fight scene but it was a, an incredibly cool bit of action. And again reminds you that you're on a streaming service not <laughs> on terrestrial TV isn't it? <laughs> but it also shows how sharp the blade was because it just stays in situ the, bla- the the head doesn't move. I know this is getting pretty graphic like an episode of Dexter. In terms of its visceral visual effect it sits there and you just see you know something's happened because he stops talking and there's obviously green blood proves he shares a lineage with vulcans it's a pretty good scene oh it's brilliant and i thought he's lying before which was i'm not quoting verbatim don't make me do this slices his head off and he goes well <laughs> that's your fault and that's the moment that you referred to before about the manipulation to get elnor back into the cause because he then agrees to sign himself up to that mission yeah for super fans uh, the reason why their blood is green in fact is because instead of having iron in their blood they have copper we get a, a little nod to data's cat uh, quite early on in an episode spot spot so those of the fans of next generation will know that to be more human data gets himself a cat to look after that he promptly calls spot more holograms we've covered just an abundance of holograms we're probably going to run out of holograms as soon as he runs out of accents i've got an issue with the hologram tell me the latest one oh. the one who was on the gun spanish mexican hispanic latino I, I, latino yeah. I, i'm not quite sure what it was i mean he seemed overly lethargic and particularly Lately unhelpful yeah. during a gunfight if his job is to fire the guns and he's sitting there stretching his arms out whilst you're in the middle of a gunfight I don't quite understand what the benefit of having him there at all. I didn't get it. I didn't understand what the point of that was. I don't understand what they were trying to imply by that particular nationality being that way inclined. Well, Top Gear got told off for doing something similar in one one of their shows. I'm talking yeah. about the Clarkson years. Yeah, it was, it's kind of he's laid back and not really bothered, a bit mm. half arse slapdash. None of the other holograms seem to be that way no. inclined. He seems to be the first one that kind of falls into that trope. And I don't think, I don't understand why, because as a tool, it's completely useless having a hologram who's supposed to be firing the guns but isn't, sort of stretching his arms and kicking yeah. back and relaxing at a time when you are at your most stressful. It's the wrong stereotype to be promoted. It's horrible. Yeah. It, it, it didn't sit comfy 
Coffee at all, didn't that one? His actual heritage, I think, is Latino, isn't it? But it didn't sit comfortably, didn't that? No, it was very stereotypical, and I think you can risk, again, because people get recreationally offended these days, you, you can lose some of your audience because they think you're saying that they're all lazy. I'm sure it's supposed to be comic humour, yeah. that you've got all these different holograms with all these different personalities, but I haven't seen any personality from any of the holograms so far, which has implied they're either incompetent or particularly annoying. No. Yeah, no. Rios, the character, gets agitated with them as a whole, but he seems to get agitated with all of them. I think he sees them as a second-class version of having a real crew who do the same roles. Yeah. So it's almost a frustration with him. But that particular character seemed useless. And out of sorts, really. You know, he's reading that book, isn't he? And it's, that's his legacy, because they all look like him. Yeah. They're not going to age, so that essentially is the, the way he can keep himself going vicariously through somebody else. It didn't seem to be a suitable choice, considering the fact that he's in charge of weapons system or whatever he was in charge of, particularly when he was being attacked by a 130-year-old bird of prey. Yeah. So that's the end of the Easter eggs this week. Excellent. So what did you think of the show? I didn't mind it for the things we've already covered. There was a few issues, one of them being kind of storytelling, the speed in which this is being paced. You know, what I would say, like a poorly stocked spice shelf, we're running out of time. (laughs) Yeah. We've said this before, we said last week. So the next episode five is going to take us to the halfway point Mm. in this season and we're now going to be building a rapport with Seven of Nine. Backstory for her. We're still going to be dragging our heels painfully on the Borg ship with the world's worst relationship. That's just never going to go forward. So our concerns are, well, how many more members of the crew are we going to add? We've still got to go to see Riker and... We know Troy's involved. We know that he meets Riker on a planet. I still maintain, and I know you agree, that these will just be whistle-stop tour jobbies. We need to get these fans back in, get them in quick, get them excited about the fact that Troy's back and Riker's back, and then boom, you'll see them for a cup of tea and a slice of cake and they're gone. Because I'm still gutted that Laris isn't on there. Mm. I think they've really missed a trick by not having Laris and Shaban. Or they Zaban. would have been ideally, I'm surprised, that would have been my go-to. Two people who you who are experienced, skilled and ideally suited for space travel, rather than just get random people who... Well, or have them in addition to, I guess. Well, yeah. With a mission that's got no chances of success, which seems to be the implication with why Elnor has joined. Having two former Tal Shiar agents on board has to improve your chances. Well, I would agree now. Unless we do a double think and we get to episode 10 and they're in trouble and who do we have? The only people who can help him would be those two. Well, maybe Picard brings him in now he's got Elnor on board because Elnor's now pledged his allegiance. Mm. He can't presumably revoke that no. because he thinks it's slim chances and now Picard's got him on board, got him committed, get the two former Tal Shiar guys on board. Although there is a risk former Tal Shiar and him, they wouldn't get on. <laughs> Actually, that'd add quite a nice little issue on the crew, wouldn't it? Yeah, a little, di- that'd dy- be a good yeah, little, little dynamic. character dynamic, yeah, yeah, I think so. What are you going to give this out of 10? Oh, seven. Ooh. For the same reasons as last week, really, it didn't justify an eight. It could have got an eight if we'd have just closed up one of the story arcs, which is we've got the team now, we know what we're doing next and moving on. Once you've got your team, you're going to be in space for a bit till you've reached where you need to be. I just felt we're just treading water. It would be getting a seven because 
because of the outrageous sock scene and continually going to the ball cube and not doing anything. Not doing anything. However, it gets solid eights because I thought the fight scene was cool. I really liked his trip to the Romulan planet mm. when it was degraded. Everything was going to shit. I, yeah. I quite like that. I like the way in which they all had quite a, an animosity towards him. It had a good vibe. It also gets an eight because seven and nine, albeit only pops up for 30 seconds, still pops up for 30 seconds. So I'm going to give it an eight, okay. but only just. I can see what you've got with that. It's a good episode. It's a strong episode, but there are some still some major bugbears that didn't need to have even been in. They've kind of turned the ball cube into essentially a love story. Like a, la- a lap dancing bar. Because <laughs> every time you go, He's got a double bed in there. He's always in bed. He's one. Of, he, he must get the best rested sleep ever for a Romulan. There's never anything else going on, is there? Yeah. He's either whining, dining, romanticising stuff, or just in bed yeah. with women. We're looking forward to the next episode. We're still we're still doing okay. We're still enjoying it. As I've said, I don't think any of the episodes this season are going to get a six. I think they will struggle to get strong eights. They've got to, they really, for me, have got to ramp it up a bit now with the storytelling. As you rightly say, next time is episode five, midpoint. We haven't really closed any story arcs we're not any further forward to knowing more than we did last week we've just treaded water that's not good for a show on its first series no as we mentioned before we won't go through all laboriously again but follow us on social media at Picard Talk send us an email with any of the information or comments Picard Talk at thepodstation.co.uk give us a follow give us some comments give us a good review patreon.com forward slash thepodstation if you want to throw a couple of quid in if you want to do a podcast visit thepodstation.co.uk we've got lots of different types of options available for people who want to do a podcast of their very own which caters for people who are experienced podcasters right the way to someone who doesn't know their ass from their elbow we can help out with a full range of skill sets yeah as we've said before you know if you think you can do better than us put your money where your mouth is don't just sit behind the keyboard complaining about things get yourself in front of a mic and do a bit yourself and where can they find you on the socials what Oh, I am the easiest person to find because I don't do a lot of the socials. I have Twitter and the Twitter name, which I always get laughed at when I say it, is Mark Latham underscore capital M, capital K, capital I, capital I, which means Mark 2, like the Iron Man suit. You can find me at Mark R. Pollard on all the platforms. Who's a famous painter and decorator, apparently. <laughs> well, thank you very much for listening. We hope you enjoyed it. We'll see you next time. You will. Make it so, number one. <laughs>